0: Let's turn in God's Word to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We'll read the entire chapter. So Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, a second day. Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation. Plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, and there was morning, a third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with, with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. Cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So far, the reading, then, of our text, our scripture this morning. And, dear congregation, as you know, we have begun this series of sermons on the book of Genesis, and we began, you'll remember, by considering God with no creation. Remember, we went to John 1, in verse 1, right, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you'll recall that we said at that time that this is before the beginning, Right? This is before anything was created. It's just God, all by himself. And we made different applications on that truth. There was a time when there was nothing but God. And last time we considered then, in the beginning, God. And you'll remember that the title of that sermon was, In the Beginning What? Because uh, in, in our culture, there are all these different worldviews, right? Even though they all kind of come down to two basic worldviews, right? That in the beginning, God... And in the beginning, something else, right? And we made our conclusions from that fact. What an amazing and significant thing that is for the life of any person when they come to understand that in the beginning, God. And not in the beginning, whatever people fill that blank in with. Well, today we move on then in our study of Genesis. And you know, I have to say, congregation, that I owe you a debt of gratitude for giving me the opportunity to study this because I'll tell you verse 2 has always puzzled me in Genesis 1. Perhaps you as well. Verse 2 in Genesis has always been a puzzling verse. That it says, the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. That seems such an odd thing to say after the first verse which says, in the beginning God created. How did verse 2 happen After verse 1. And that's what I'd like to consider with you this morning. The title of the sermon is Formless and Void, which is what we have there in verse 2, right? The earth was formless and void, or formless and empty. Formless and empty. Now, what are we going to do with verse 2 then? How are we to understand this? Well, the grammar of the verse, dear friends, forbids us from understanding it this way. And that is in a sequential way. In other words, first verse 1 happened, and then verse 2 happened. So let me just read it that way. And that, again, this is a wrong way. If you read it, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then the earth became formless and void. Now, uh, again, we, the, the, the grammar forbids us from understanding it in that way, although I, I have more to say about that shortly. But th- the text is not trying to communicate to us a sequential uh, list of events. First, this happened, then this happened, and then verse 3 happened. In fact, verse 2 is kind of a, uh, well, if you remember your, the days of your grammar, right, it's kind of a dependent clause, right, that is telling us about what already existed in some other state of affairs so for instance one way to read it and in fact you'll even find translations of the Bible I put one in there in the outline that understands it that way that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and then verse 2 is now when God began to do that when God began to create the heavens and the earth this is how the earth was now listen carefully to that a minute because I want I want to I want to hear I don't want to hear you I want to I want to see what you think of that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now when God began to do that, the earth was without form and void. It was formless and empty. How does that sound to you? What, does that sound red flags in your mind? Something's not quite right there. I hope so, uh, because I, and I'll explain that. But again, you can look on the outline there, and I put that. that this becomes the translation of some of the Bibles that, we, um, that are commonly used. So I have the NRSV there, the New Revised Standard Version, which has, When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and empty. So that's, that's how they're translating that. Now, that could be correct grammatically, right? In terms of the grammar of the Hebrew, that could possibly be correct. But it's impossible theologically. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, because in Hebrews 11 and verse 3, as I've given it to you there, we are taught that when God created the heavens and the earth, He did so, and there's that Latin expression, creatio ex nihilo, right? Creation out of nothing. Let me read to you Hebrews 11 and verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared or were created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. You understand that? That when God created the heavens and the earth, He didn't take already existing materials and mold them into what He wanted to create. So when we compare Scripture to Scripture, right, which is always what we're supposed to do, right, that's what the Reformers taught us to do, always interpret Scripture in the light of Scripture, right, that's the most God honoring way to understand the Bible, we reject that interpretation. That would have us believe that when God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was like this. It was formless and empty. Because that means that there was already stuff there that God went to work on. Right, children? If you think about Play-Doh, right? And you make stuff out of Play-Doh, you form different things, right? You can make pies and pizzas and all these different things that you make out of Play-Doh, right? But you already have got the Play-Doh to work on, right? You've already got the stuff... That you then create and design and you roll things over it, right? And all the stuff that you do with Plato. Right? But now, oh, none of you could do this, right, children. You you can't you can't make the Plato, you can't create Plato, right? You have to have the Plato already to work on. But when God created the heavens and the earth, right, God created everything that exists out of nothing or ex nihilo. Right? And that's a good expression to learn. So we reject the idea that verse 2 is modifying verse 1 or that verse 2 is dependent on verse 1 or telling us about the state of affairs that existed in verse 1. Well, how are we to understand this then? Well, we come to uh, we come to look at verse 3. And it says then God said let there be light and there was light. So the way we understand this then, is by saying that verse 2 is telling us, is modifying or is describing verse 3. So that what we can say is then, uh, when God said, let there be light, then the earth was formless and void. So not when God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void. No, God created the heavens and the earth, the entire universe, out of nothing. That's verse 1. Now verse 2 starts a completely new section. And verse 2 teaches us that when God said, Let there be light, the earth was formless and void. Now that's a, that's a again, that may be difficult for us to understand. But that also uh, leads us then to understand these other Latin expressions that uh, Reformed theologians in the past have given us. And I hope you like learning a little Latin this morning. All right? I have them there, creatio prima and creatio secunda. And those are just creation first and creation second. And that the creation first was creatio ex nihilo, right? Creation out of nothing. That's verse one. When God began to create the, or when God created the heavens and the earth, right? That the earth, there was nothing. That was creatio prima, or the first creation, or the creation out of nothing. But all the subsequent acts were Creatio creatio Secunda or the second creation. And these were now God going to work on this this earth as as it's described for us in verse 2. So we distinguish between Creatio Prima and Creatio Secunda, and I think that's a good distinction. And I think it helps us to understand verse 2 correctly. That it's not describing what happened or what was the state of affairs in verse 1. That would contradict what we learned in Hebrews 11 but it's describing for us the state of affairs of verse 3, that when God said, let there be light, the earth was now this, formless and empty, formless and void. And God, in the creatio secunda, right, his second creation, brought order to what was not orderly. So I hope that is clear to you. By the way, uh, the the author uh, Moses here, he often seems to write in that way. In fact, he'll, he'll give a general statement like we have in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he expands on that. Now let me tell you more detail about that. And, and we, you see a similar thing in verse 26 because what happens in verse 26? God says, let us make man. And in verse 27, God created man in his own image, but we don't learn anything else about it until we get to chapter 2, right? Where it's as if God now zeroes in on the creation of man. So that's often uh, uh, something we see in Moses' writing, that he'll give a general statement and then expand and give more details on how that worked. At any rate, so we have verse 1 then, a general statement of God creating everything that exists out of nothing, creatio prima. And then verses 2 through the end is creatio secunda, or God bringing order to this formless and empty mass. Well, let's move then to... Uh, let's move then to to, uh, the point two on the outline here and to try to understand this formless and void. Because this now brings us into quite a quandary, quite an interpretive difficulty here, is if God created the heavens and the earth, how did the earth come to be formless and empty like this? And the the terms given us here, look at verse two, formless, that means really it it reads kind of chaotic. That means no order to it, just a, a a swirling mass, as it were. And void means empty. It, it wasn't filled with anything productive. It was uninhabitable. It was it was empty. And then darkness, right? And again, this is this is this is not a like a, a gentle, kind kind of serene darkness, but a kind of a sinister darkness. A darkness was over the surface of the deep. And again, that word deep, not a not a pleasant word, not the. Not that, uh, you know, how water often in Scripture is a, is a pleasant, happy thing. But here it's a, it's a sinister, like we don't know what monsters lie beneath the deep of that surface. And it's, a, it's, it's not a, a positive term, the deep. Now, we are also told here that the Spirit of God was moving or hovering over the surface of these waters. So the picture we have here then in verse 2 is really like a, a swirling mass of, of watery, Chaos, almost. Now, again, I, I kind of hesitate to say chaos because clearly God allowed the creation that he had created in verse 1 to come into this way, to be, to be to be like this. Now, I bring to your attention Isaiah 45, verse 18, which complicates things even more. And actually, you will recognize this is our call to worship this morning. But in Isaiah 45 and verse 18, we read this. In uh, day of 45, verse 18, we read, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place. Now, congregation, that word waste place there, that is exactly the same word as we have in Genesis 1, verse 2, when it says the earth was formless. And so here we have a scripture explicitly telling us that God did not create the earth formless, but formed it to be inhabited. And again, that, that, that's, that puzzles us, doesn't it? How, how are we to understand this then? That God created the earth, and God created the heavens and the earth in, in some way, and yet in some way it became formless and empty. And God allowed it to be that way. And, and, in fact, the Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of this, of this mass, this swirling mass, this formless and empty mass of whatever the earth was at that time. So it's not that God is not sovereign over this formless and empty earth. right? No, the Spirit of God is there. He hovers over it. And yet God, in his permission, allowed this earth to become this way. That, we have to say, and on the basis of Isaiah 45, 18, we conclude that God did not create it that way. Now, this is a mystery, isn't it? Now, this is one of the mysteries of, of, of Scripture that is difficult to interpret, and of course, theologians have made many speculations about what could have happened. You know that there are those who teach that we are to understand quite a large gap between verses 1 and and verse 2, so they say that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then there was this long gap of, of who knows how long. It could have been millions of years, right? And then verse 2 happened. The earth became formless and void. Now, first of all, I, as I said already, the grammar of, Hebrews, or of, uh, of Genesis 1 verse 2 doesn't permit such an interpretation. Even though, I'm sorry if this is a little confusing, but in one sense... Certainly, the earth somehow became formless and empty, right? I mean, verse 2 very clearly teaches us that. How that happened, or why, or what, we don't know, We're we're not told. Well, I will say something about the why, about that shortly. But somehow, it became formless and empty. Furthermore, there are other scriptures which teach us the same truth. We sang from Psalm 104. But if you would turn to Psalm 104, you'll see that Psalm 104 really gives us the same story at the creation. In Psalm 104 and verse 5, we read, He, that is God, established the earth upon its foundations so that it will not totter forever and ever. I would, I would understand that to be the rough equivalent to Genesis 1 verse 1. God created the heavens and the earth. He established it upon its foundations. But then look at verse 6. You covered it with the deep. What about that word deep? Does that sound familiar? Isn't that the same word we had in verse 2? You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains. And then you can see in verse 7, right, it it's begins the days of creation. At your rebuke they fled and so on and so forth. So again, interpreting Scripture with Scripture, we understand that God created the heavens and the earth, right? And of course he created them perfectly. And somehow they became formless and empty. They, they became this chaotic mass swirling, watery mass. And then God began to speak order into that formless and empty earth. At any rate, the the uh, the gap idea, right, this gap theory that there's this long t- period of time between verses 1 and 2, uh, it does not follow in terms of the grammar of the passage. But also, it's a concession, isn't it, to uh, science, right, which wants to say that the earth is much older than, than it appears to be. I'm sorry, the, the earth is old, as it does appear to be, right? They, they understand the earth to show signs of great age. And so to reconcile these two accounts, they have landed on this gap theory, which helps them to um, reconcile science with scripture. Now, I have no interest in science this morning, uh, but certainly in scripture. And I will say that most scholars today ha- no longer accept the gap theory because, again, the, the grammar of the passage just doesn't allow for it. It just doesn't. It cannot be interpreted in that way. Now, uh, I continue then. Other theologians have suggested that what happened in verse 2 is, uh, corresponds with the fall of Satan. Because we know that Satan fell in heaven before man fell on earth. And so they surmise that maybe Satan falling in heaven had its effects upon what took place upon the earth. Well, again, I have nothing to do with that theory because, again, the scripture does not say anything about that. So as interesting a theory as it may be, it's not in the Bible, and so I leave it. I don't, uh, I don't have anything else to say about that. At any rate, another man named E.J. Young, perhaps his name is familiar to you. He was a professor of Old Testament at Westminster Seminary, a marvelously gifted man and a, 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 a scholar of the Hebrew language especially. He had an interesting theory by the way, I, I leaned on him heavily for the understanding of this passage. He's the one that taught us to see verse 2 as describing verse 3, not as describing verse 1, as I've already explained. But he said that we should not understand verse 2 as something negative. And he believed that God did indeed create the world this way. That God did indeed create the world formless and empty. And darkness and the, over the deep. And then he says we should not understand that as a negative thing. But that God really did. In fact, he even says, he even goes so far as to say that God could have said about the formless and empty earth that it was very good. Now, I have to say that, that is extremely hard to uh, accept. Those terms everywhere else in Scripture are understood very negatively as not nice things. But also, it doesn't seem to uh, adopt the teaching that we have in verse four, Isaiah forty-five eighteen, right, which taught us that God did not create the world empty, formless and empty, now, again, congregation, these are difficult things, aren't they? And I, I present them to you, and and uh, you can study those and, and work through it as I have. Again, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to really delve into that this week. It was very interesting, and I have to say, verse 2 is always a mystery to me. But I think this is how we are to understand verse 2, that it's telling us the state of affairs or, or what existed at the time of verse 3, when God said, let there be light. And I, I bring back to your mind again the all-important Fact that it was the spirit of God, the spirit of God was hovering over this whole situation. No matter how chaotic and how formless and empty and dark this swirling mass of waters was, the spirit of God was over it. It was all under His control. In no way are we to understand that the earth had kind of slipped out of God's control, that He lost His grasp of it, that it slipped out of His grasp, and 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 devolved into this chaotic state. No, the whole time God is there. He did not create it that way, but he's there. He has all these things in his hands, and he has a purpose, and he has a reason for it. And that, congregation, is what I move to now to consider some of these things because now God begins to speak. And what does God do? He takes the formless or the orderless, the chaotic, and he brings order into it. And how does he do that? By speaking. God speaks. And what happens on day one? Order. Light from darkness. Right? God separates the light from the darkness. And we have the first ordering speech of God. And congregation, that's something we need to learn about when God speaks. That when God speaks, he brings order. So whatever this... However this, verse 2, came to be, we know for a fact that now God begins to speak, and light is separated from darkness. God's second word goes forth, and the water is separated from the water, right? And and by doing that, he makes the space in between, right? The sky. Children, what we call the sky, right? Where the birds fly. God brings order. He separates the waters. So you have the waters in the atmosphere above, and the waters in the earth beneath, right? And in the middle there is that sky, He's bringing order. And on the third day, he separates the water. So now looking in a more horizontal sense, right? In the the second day, it was more vertical, but now more horizontal. And God separates the land from the water. No longer is it a chaotic, swirling mass of water. But now there is water here, oceans, lakes, seas, creeks, rivers. And over here is land, mountains, plains, and all the rest, right? Deserts and jungles. You have land here, you have water here. God speaks, and order comes. But then God also has to deal with the void, right? So God has resolved the formless, right? The, the orderless problem by speaking. But now God is going to deal with the empty part, right? The earth is formless and void or empty. And now what does God do? He fills. And so if you look in verse 11, God fills. Let the earth sprout vegetation. Plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. God is now filling, right? He's already done the ordering, but now He's filling. And He begins by filling the dry land. And then He begins to fill the sky. Verse 14 Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. So now this, on this day, right, God begins to fill that expanse. Remember, God separated the waters from the waters, so the space in between is now open, and God sets a sun, a moon, he stars, he fills the emptiness, so that it's no longer void, it's no longer empty, but now it's filled. Then you have in verse 20, God fills the waters. Verse 20, let the waters team With swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. So you have here now God filling both the sky and the waters, right? The waters are filled in verse 21 with great sea monsters or just great sea creatures, right? And every living creature that moves. And the sky, in verse 20, is filled with birds. So not only is the sky filled with the sun and the moon and the stars, right, but the sky is filled with birds and all kinds of flying winged creatures. And then in verse 24, God fills the dry land. No longer will the dry land be empty. Now, he's already put vegetation and stuff on it. By the way, the, the vegetation that God put on the earth at this time was not growing, right? Uh, and it was not yet bearing fruit. It was, uh, that comes later in chapter 2. Again, I'll say more on that when I get to chapter 2. But at this time, God plants these, uh, puts the vegetation there in a uh, in rather static state. It's kind of difficult to understand exactly what that would have been. But uh, there was no water on the earth. You can read about that in verse 2, or in chapter 2. But at any rate, enough on that. For now, we, we see how God fills the dry land, right, with animals. And finally, he crowns his creation on the sixth day, right, by making man In his very image. And man now fills that dry land. And so, congregation, you have then God speaking order into this formless and void, formless and empty earth. He speaks order. And he speaks, fills, right? This is creatio secunda, right? He's filling, he's calling, and some of these are creations out of nothing, right? He speaks, and man is created, right? And he's created. And he lives and he, he lives on that dry land and the dry land is no longer void, no longer empty but now it's teeming with life, with vegetation, with animals, with people or with Adam. and it's, it's, uh, the, the sky is, is full of birds, right There's a sun, a moon, a stars, right there's dry ground, there's waters and all this order and all this filling happens on these days of creation. Well, congregation, that brings me now to my two points of application here. And the first thing that I was led to reflect on is as I hinted already at the beginning of the sermon is there's such a mystery here, right? Why verse 2 happened, what, what it was, and, and how to fit that in, how to understand that with the rest of the verses and how God could have, well, God didn't create it formless and empty, but it, somehow it came to be that way. And it came to be that way, congregation, and this is the key thing, by God's will and intent. Nothing happens apart from the will of God. And so verse 2 also happened by the will of God. God sovereignly decreed that it should be this way. And why? Well, short of an explicit uh, scriptural reason why, and yet I think that in so many places, like especially in Psalm 104 and other places, God, congregation, is an artist. And that's my first point of application, beauty. God is an artist. Now, we could talk about God as a creator, and we actually did talk about that in the last sermon, right? That God, in the beginning, God, he created, he brought all these things into being. We can talk about God as a designer, right? That God designed everything to work together and to fit together. But I wonder, congregation, how often we speak about God as an artist, God, as an artist who allowed for his own sovereign reasons the earth to devolve into this chaotic, swirling, watery, dark mass. Why? For the simple reason that he could speak, that he could put on display for all creation, for all time. Because here we are reading it, thousands and thousands of years later. We are reading God, the great artist looking at this, this swirling, watery, dark mass, and he speaks as the artist. And he calls things into being. And the one thing that he calls into being, now he calls many things into being, but this morning he calls beauty into being. Beauty. And that's why we can say God is an artist. And maybe, congregation, that's the only reason that we need for verse 2. That the only reason God allowed this verse 2 to happen was so that in his sovereign will, he could put on display for all times and for all places his own artistic uh, skill, as it were. And congregation, God is an artist like none other. But think about it. Just right in the front of church, right? we see all these flowers, all these beautiful flowers that are planted there that God gave us. Could not God have made all the flowers gray? Couldn't he have made them all white or all black? What possible function can there be for a flower to be red or purple, some to be long and hanging down, some to be tall, some to be green, some to be purple? What, why did God do that? I have to believe congregation that God is putting on display before us just as he has in this chapter here. That formless and empty is not his will for this creation. God wills that there be beauty in his creation. And he creates all this order and all this vegetation and all this beauty, right? He creates the mountain landscape, right? He creates the Now this is bizarre, isn't it, but when we were at the ark a few weeks back, they, they allowed us to put hair under microscopes. And you know, congregation, that even a hair is beautiful and has its own pattern. And as I looked at this hair, because you can instantly tell the difference between a human hair or a dog hair or a hair that come off a camel, and you can immediately see the difference because there's a little pattern there. And didn't we see, or I see it, that my family saw the fingerprints of God through that micro- Microscope. That God built beauty even into a human hair? And congregation, if you even go into a human cell or an animal cell, any kind of living cell, or go deeper yet into a molecule, right? Those of you who had to, had to suffer through organic chemistry in school, right? And you learned about all these molecules, electrons spinning in perfect orbits around the nucleus. Why, congregation? Why that beautiful symmetry? Why that beauty? Couldn't God have just made everything one color? Or just made everything even? In congregation, I ask you to look over here. Here we have an organ. Here we have a piano. Right? Could I not just take the hymn book and just sit here and read it to you? He Right? He rides on the clouds, the wings of the storm be done. Now we're done with that part of the worship service. But no, God gives us music. And he gives people the gifts to play and to harmonize and to put this beautiful music together that lifts our soul to God week after week. Why? Do we, do we deserve any of those things? And yet God does it, doesn't he? He allows the earth to become formless and empty. And then he puts on this display. And this morning, congregation, we stand before the artistry of God. And I pray, congregation, that every one of us would fall on our knees, struck with awe at the beauty of God at the beauty that he gives us. Even with our sin and our rebellion, we stand not before a formless and empty creation, not before a colorless creation, not before a musicless creation, but a creation with all this beauty in it. It's such a marvelous gift that God gives us. Oh, and another example I have here congregation is when God had the Jews build a, a Uh, a building to worship him in what did he tell them what did he say to the jews when he was going when when they were going through the wilderness did he say jews uh, slap up a building here four corners throw a a a tent over it and you should probably have a couple stones here for an altar no god gave aholiab and bezaliel remember those names from the old testament and he said they had the spirit of god came on them The same spirit that was hovering over that watery mass. The same spirit of God came down upon Bezalel and Aholiat and anointed them and gave them the gifts of artistry. Why? Because our God is a God of beauty. He created beauty and he created people who can create beauty. And that's what those two men did. And we praise God for it. And they built a tabernacle of amazing beauty. And we marvel at it today congregation, I have this quote from Abraham Kuyper here. Abraham Kuyper gave seven lectures at Princeton Seminary many years ago, and one of them is Calvinism and art. Now that caught my eye because i had never heard or seen such a thing. I don't typically place Calvinist and art in the same sentence, but Kuyper did. And he wrote this beautiful paragraph, which I share with you here in the outline, where he writes, from this standpoint, Calvinism honored art as a gift of the Holy Spirit, and as a consolation in our present life, enabling us to discover in and behind this sinful life a richer and more glorious background. Standing by the ruins of this once so wonderfully beautiful creation, Art points out to the Calvinist both the still visible lines of the original plan And what is even more, the splendid restoration by which the supreme artist and master builder will one day renew and enhance even the beauty of his original creation. In this sin-cursed earth congregation, with all the chaos and with all the dysfunction that we see in the world, with all the sin, Kuiper says we can still see the faint lines of God's original perfect creation, And it leads us to the most beautiful of all. Because heaven, my dear friends, is described in scripture as a place of unparalleled beauty. It has not even entered into the mind of man to conceive the beauty of what heaven is. And art and beauty in our creation leads us to the great artist, the supreme Master, builder. Congregation, my last point of application is order. Because, you know, we can look into our life and we can remember a time. Maybe you can remember a time. Maybe some of you can't so much. But if there was a time in your life when your life was a wreck, when your life was a mess, and God spoke into it, and he brought order to your disordered life, do you remember that time? I pray, congregation, that this morning you would worship God not only for his creation and the glorious beauty, but also for what he did in recreating your soul. When you were living a life of wickedness, when you were pursuing your own life, your own will, your own sin, when you were chasing all sorts of crazy dreams, and when you had put God to the side, when you had stopped listening to his voice, when you had stopped up your ears, you didn't want to hear the voice of God. But then there came a time in your life When God spoke with power. When God said, let there be light. When God brought the power of his Holy Spirit into you. And the chaos became order. Maybe even beauty. And God began a work in your soul that you never can forget. Congregation, don't forget it this morning either. Worship God for the wonderful work of recreation that he's done in your life. And my dear friend, if you're running from God this morning if you're running from God, if you're stopping your ear to His voice in your life, be sure of this. Prepare for massive disorder. Prepare for chaos. Prepare for hurt and pain. That's what happens when we don't listen to the ordering voice of God. I was struck by that in the hymn that we sung earlier. Verse 8 of 206 said, Rejoicing in God, my thoughts shall be sweet, while sinners depart in ruin complete. My friend, let me read that again. Rejoicing in God, my thoughts shall be sweet, while sinners depart in ruin complete. Some of us have learned that by hard experience. My hope is that we haven't had to learn that by hard experience, but it's still true, congregation. That when the voice of God no longer can enter into our life because we blocked it out, formless and empty is bound to result. Let that be a warning to us, congregation. But let it also be a cause for worship. That if we are the people of God this morning, and if we've heard the voice of God, and if we've bowed before Him and believed it, and put our trust in Him, then God creates out of the disorder of our sin and our guilt a perfect order. And a day is coming, as Kuiper has pointed us to, when he will recreate us with no flaw, not one formless, nothing empty, but pure perfection, and will bring us into a perfect world, a new heaven, and a new earth. Congregation, may God grant that all of us might be found in that happy city on that last day to his glory. Amen. Almighty and merciful God, we look with wonder, awe, and delight at the creation around us. And we think, Lord, are these only the lines of a once perfect creation? Is this beauty and this artistry only a small shadow of what is to come? Then, Lord, it leads our hearts up to see the glorious future that you've prepared for the children of God. I pray, O God, that it might do that for your people this morning. And Lord, if there's one here who looks at his life or who looks at her life and said, that's my life, formless, disorderly, chaos, and empty, empty of any real meaning, empty of any purpose, empty of any real joy, oh God, I pray that the voice, your mighty voice would speak into those waters, into into that chaos, and that you would bring order and meaning, and that you would fill that person's heart with light and with life and love. O God, remember us then. Give us a fresh appreciation for the glory and the beauty of what we see with our eyes every day in this created order. All this we ask, Lord, in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.